Let us turn now in God's word to the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 2. I'm going to read from verses 22 to 36. Now Eli was very old, and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear. You make the people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father, because the Lord desired to kill them. And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor, both with the Lord and men. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, in Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place, and honor your sons more than me, to make yourself fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people? Therefore the Lord God of Israel said, I said indeed, that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, Far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming that I will cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house, and you will see an enemy in my dwelling place, despite all the good which God does for Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever, but any of your men whom I do not cut off from my altar shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. Now this shall be a sign to you, that will come upon your two sons, on Hophni and Phinehas. In one day they shall die, both of them. Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest, who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before my anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and say, Please put me in one of the priestly positions that I may eat a piece of bread. Our text for this morning's message is verse 35 of 
chapter 2 here. Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before my anointed forever. And our title for this morning's message is God's Faithful Priest. God's Faithful Priest. In our day, it seems all too common that there are many corruptions and disappointments in leadership. And that can be in the state, and it can be in our businesses, it can be, sadly, and most tragically, sometimes in the church. It becomes hard as it is these days with COVID-19. I think a lot of us may have fatigue because we see maybe a decision that is unwise. In the Old Testament, we have many examples of failures, unfaithfulness, and disappointments in leadership. In the time of Samuel, now Samuel himself was an answer to prayer. As we find out earlier in this book from Hannah, who prayed for a child. And Samuel grew before the Lord and ministered before the Lord. And in this section of God's Word, it is contrasted with the unfaithfulness and disappointments and failures of the house of Eli. The house of of Eli, and Eli at the time was the high priest. While Samuel would serve and learn before Eli, Eli's own sons were corrupt, dishonest, taking bribes, and they were to succeed him. When we see failure, and corruption and leadership, the future can look bleak. We wonder, what's going to happen next? But thankfully, God does not leave his people without hope, even with such bleak realities of the nature of man's heart. God will raise up for himself a faithful priest. What exactly does that mean in our text? What does it mean when it says, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and my mind? And what hope and encouragement can we, God's people, take away from this verse here this morning to help us deal with any of the setbacks and any of the failures we may see in our lives? How do we deal with them? How do we take hope from this text We're going to look at this message or this section of God's Word under four headings, the first of which is this. Number one, the need for a new priesthood. The need for a new priesthood. God is promising here to raise up another priest. One in the place of Eli and his sons, the priestly line was to be Replaced. 
We have to ask ourselves now, why, why was that necessary? Why was that necessary? What exactly was so wrong with Eli's household? Because none of us are without sin. David, a man after God's own heart, himself fell into sin. But what was so necessary that the, the, the line of Eli had to be replaced? It says in verse 12, it gives us some information on this. Verse 12 of chapter 2. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. And corrupt could also be, literally, it's the sons of Belial. Sons of worthlessness. Verse 17 tells us about them as well. Therefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. It wasn't just something that they slipped into. They hated God's offering. And verse 22, it also tells us, Now Eli was very old, and he heard everything his sons did in all Israel, and how they lay with women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. The, whenever we hear of scandals, famous televangelists, corrupt, wretched men who think nothing of God's word and demonstrate that by their lives, this would be very, very similar to what was going on here. They were immoral. They were enemies of God. It wasn't a question mark over it. They were open enemies of God. They weren't faithful. And so were also under God's judgment and under God's wrath, his holy and righteous anger. Their sin was also worse because of the position that they held, their role. The more responsibility one has, the more that is expected of us. We should encourage our children, our grandchildren, if we have any, that they would be faithful in small things and therefore they'll be trusted with more as they grow up. But that role of leadership demands far more. One, they made the priest the offering before God. Someone to offer before God. That great privilege to burn incense, to wear the priestly robes. Tells us that in verse 28 of this chapter. That that's what they were to do. And also they were to teach the law of the Lord. They had great responsibilities. A holy office was corrupted within the church. This was the church of that day. Their sins were very great. And we have to think ourselves, if we are in positions of authority, whether it be in government, Romans 13 tells us that government ministers are ministers of God, they'll be held accountable whether people be elders or deacons, whatever the case may be, let us take our role of influence seriously. More is expected in leadership. Eli the high priest also, we're told in the biblical text, 
He made an idol of his children, which is very tragic. It's an easy trap to fall into. Very easy. Verse 29 of this chapter. Verse 29 of this chapter tells us this. Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offerings which I have commanded in my dwelling place and honor your sons more than me? The sad thing is, and all too often when we do this, we're not doing our children any favors. We're leading them into rebellion. God must come first, even above our children, above anything. If we don't trust him, we are rebels. And in our own way, we kick at his sacrifices. And we, if we are unconverted, are in exactly the same place that these sons of Belial are in, abhorring the offering of the Lord. God will judge all sin. And so he removes the line of Eli because it is so serious and because of the corruption seen here. Number two, an obedient priest. An obedient priest. In a partial sense, in a partial sense, this is fulfilled later in Israel's history by a priest by the name of Zadok and his line. It says in verse 35, Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and my mind. But it's also fulfilled in a fuller sense. No human being can fully fill this description to do all that is in my heart and in my mind. There's only one who has walked upon the face of the earth who that fully and totally describes. Later, in the partial sense, Zadok is put there by Solomon in place of Abiathar. It says in Ezekiel 44, verse 15, But the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, who keep the charge of my sanctuary, when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near me to minister to me, and they shall stand before me to offer to me fat and blood, says the Lord. So the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, who keep the charge of my sanctuary, tells us. Here we see an obedient, of course not perfect, but an obedient line replacing this corrupt line in contrast to Israel's rebellion. Israel's rebellion. And this became all too common in the Old Testament. Book of Judges, over and over again, Israel falling into sin and corruption, a never-ending cycle it almost seemed. But to be faithful, to be pleasing before God, to fully fulfill what is talked about here. An obedient faith, what is pleasing before God. We all fail, every single one of us fail. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And we need an obedient priest to stand in our place 
to represent us. As 1 John chapter 2 tells us, to be our advocate, to be our representative before the throne of heaven. To be, as we would call it here, a solicitor. Did God raise up a priest who would bear the sins of his people to make an offering? And not for himself. Not for himself, because he had no sin of his own. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Zadok could only bear the sins of Israel ceremonially and pointed toward the true high priest who would come and truly wash away sin. I'm going to turn now briefly to Hebrews chapter 7. And I'd like you to keep maybe your finger on Hebrews chapter 7 because we're going to go to it once or twice. Um, Hebrews chapter 7 verse 26 says this. When it speaks of our high priest, for such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. Completely different from this line of Zadok. This spotless lamb of God, this perfect sacrifice. And what is wonderful about this, men will fail. The house of Eli will fail. The house of Zadok even will fail before the righteous standards of God. But Christ could never and will never fail us. As he says to us, and he promises us at the end of Matthew 28, Lo, I am with you even to the end of the world, even to the end of time itself. Next, number three. Children of the priest. Children of the priest. It says in this verse, in verse 35 of chapter 2, I will build him a sure house. I will build him a sure house. And this is speaking of the line of the high priest. Again, we can mention the line of Zadok, partially, and his line. And this continued. This continued up until a certain point in history, a certain point in time. Until what? The the Levitical priesthood was no more. Replaced with a priesthood which would never change. A priesthood which would endure. A priesthood which would ever offer and intercede for us. Again, Hebrews 7, verse 11 says this, Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it, if the people receive the law, what further need is there of another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not called according to the order of of Aaron. And then verse 24 of that same chapter. But he, because he continues forever, and listen to this, has an unchangeable priesthood. Not even just a priesthood that won't change. It is unchangeable. Do we take comfort in that, dear Christians? That God is immutable. He is unchangeable. The same yesterday, today, forever. Jesus is 
the same. So who are his children of this this enduring priesthood? It is children of that priest, children who are believers in Jesus Christ. What a precious promise, this sure, not just any kind of a house, a sure house. And does it not remind us of a promise that Jesus made to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16 when he said this? Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, my ecclesia, my assembly. And the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. A sure house. One where the enemy, one where death is defeated and has no chance against it and will not prevail against it. We have to think about here, and as we look at our text, it says, I will build him a sure house. Who's doing the building here? Do we build the sure house? Does it depend on our faithfulness? No. Now, this is not to say that we do nothing, that we're not to labor for the kingdom of Christ and seek to reach the lost. Of course we are. But it doesn't depend on us. It doesn't depend on our faithfulness. If it did, there would be no hope. It doesn't depend on our creativity or anything else. It depends on God's methods and God's time using God's power. The power of God, what's in salvation. He will build this sure house. Isn't that wonderful? Doesn't that take the pressure off? Yes, we labor. Yes, we, we reach our lost neighbors and friends, lost family members, and we share the gospel with them. But if we see this, it is Christ who will build his church. And what will make the difference whether that precious person will come to Christ or not? The mercy of God. Somebody may witness far better than another person. But the difference is not how well you witness. The difference is God and the power of God. How are people added to our high priest's home? It is by faith and by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And even that faith is a sovereign gift of God. Finally, number four, we're going to look at a ministering priest. A ministering priest. Priest. It says at the end of verse 35, and he shall walk before my anointed forever. And he shall walk before my anointed forever. What shall this high priest do? What shall he do according to this verse in verse 35? Again, we can think of Zadok. The priest, where it's again a partial fulfillment. And after we see this in Scripture in the Old Testament, it'll be fulfilled partially in one sense, but in its fullest sense in Christ. That happens sometimes with the kingly line with Solomon and David, and then fully realized in Christ. 
but the priests ministering before God's anointed. And at the time, who are the, the anointed? The kings, the kings of Israel. And anybody who is anointed was someone who is equipped by God to fulfill a certain role. Now, of course, we are also God's anointed in Christ, and Christ himself is the anointed one. Christos in Greek can also be translated the anointed one. But the kings were anointed by God for their task as king. But is there another sense in which this fulfilled? The priests were types of Christ. They were types of Christ pointing towards Christ. And the thing is, a type is not the same as the one to whom it points towards. Pointing towards that unchanging and unchangeable priesthood. These priests walk before. I will build my house. I will build him a sure house. And he shall walk before my anointed forever. These priests would minister before this anointed one who would come. But this walking before can refer to ministering. Certainly the priests who are to serve the anointed one are king and priest, Jesus Christ. But what about he? He. He shall walk before my anointed forever. Jesus Christ. In another sense, Christ ministers to us. The church also the anointed because we are in Christ. Christ sustains us. He feeds us. He enables us. He shall walk before my anointed forever, guiding them, leading them. Not just and not for a short time. This is why there's a sense of this in this text. It's not just in a limited sense these priests, they would come and go, they would live for a time and then they would die. But Christ will walk before his people, enabling them, feeding them and sustaining them forever. Ever interceding for them. Will this priest who bore our sin, not his own, will he ever leave us? Will he ever forsake us? No. That may seem like such a trivial thing. Of course I know this. I know that he will never leave me or forsake me. But how often do we forget this? How often when we reach trials and temptations, rather than fleeing to our knees, we go somewhere else? In fact, sometimes when we're in our our greatest hour of need, Prayer and fellowship and worship gets pushed out. We need to remind ourselves, brethren, that when we do even fall into sin, that we go before the throne of grace because it is the throne of grace. And because we have this high priest, whoever forever ministers and walks before his people 
forever. It says in Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but has in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Not only that, he sympathizes with our weaknesses. Without sin, he was hungry, tired. He wept. He sympathizes with us. In all points, tempted as we are. Hebrews ten twenty one to 22 And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near here in this morning. In conclusion, are we not living in bleak days? Are we not living in bleak days as they were living in bleak days in 1 Samuel chapter 2? Leadership has been corrupted Corrupted to the point it needs to be replaced and removed. They take bribes and commit lewd acts of immorality. Are we not living in such days today? Things that are happening even with our government officials we would never have imagined 20 or 30 years ago. But there's nothing bleak when you're trusting in this high priest whose priestly office is unchangeable who is there forever and intercedes in our place unlike this line unlike this leadership does he ever live For you, interceding at the right hand of the majesty on high. Has he taken your sin upon him on the cross? Has he lived in your place, fulfilled the law in your place? So that God the Father can look upon you and say, Righteous, just, holy. Not because of you, but because of Christ. Are you trusting in him this day? And if you are trusting in him, are you growing in assurance that not only you're trusting in him, but that you you cling more closely to him day after day? Remind yourselves of the promises he gives to his people. Never trust in your own faithfulness. Never trust in the faithfulness of anyone else but Christ because the faithfulness, your faithfulness, or the faithfulness of anyone else is corrupt, it is ungodly, and it will take you to hell. Only Christ. Only Christ's perfect priesthood. Only Christ's perfect work. Has God saying this, this is my beloved son. And he can look upon you because of that because he fulfilled the law, and because his work is pleasing before the Father. Amen.